right in the middle of a good dream Like all at once I wake up From something that keeps knocking at my brain Before I go insane I hold my pillow to my head And spring up in my bed Screaming out the words I dread I think I love you This morning Hey everybody, welcome to episode 17 of Craven Craven, the podcast about all things Wes Craven. I am one of your Craven Craven co-hosts, Patrick Bromley, joined as always by Heather Wixon. Hi Heather. Hello. What are we talking about this week, Heather? We are going to be talking about a, a, a very particular little sequel that uh-huh. some may or uh-huh. may not know. The Hills Have Eyes Part 2? Yes. Oh, actually we already did that one. Uh, Wes Craven's oh. New Nightmare? Mm, I already did that one too. He made um, another sequel. He did called Scream Two, so originally <gasps> Scream titled Scream Two, aka Scream Again, aka Scream Louder. I think was one of the working was titles. Was it really? Yeah. Uh, aka Scream the sequel. Um, I like I like Scream Again. Yeah, Scream Again's a good title. That should have been it. I mean, I, I get the numerical thing because it's, less, you know. It would have fallen apart after part two. That's the issue, I think, is that you can't do, like, scream again, again. I mean, I guess you could. Oh, no, but... no. You could do scream uh, scream and scream again. Oh, I like it. How about for part yeah. four? Uh, scream and know. scream again and again? Or, yeah, gosh. I don't, ha- I don't have anything clever for that. No. Damn. See, it's not so easy, is it? I'm not prepared. I am just not prepared, I guess. Not so easy being a big shot Hollywood executive. I guess. What do I know? (laughs) Nothing, apparently. Well, Scream 2 is a fascinating case study in sequels because it was in theaters less than a year. Yeah. Uh, After the original came out. The original came out in December of 96, and the sequel was out in December of 97, the following year, just like a week shy of the original's release date. Um, So the turnaround on this thing was insane, and considering that, I think it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, honestly, like, when when you hear about sequels that are sort of rushed... There's there's certain there's a certain bar that you're like all right well at least if they clear this bar then you know we're fine, um, but I feel like Scream Two kind of raises the bar yeah in, in sort of you know those sequels that have to get pushed so quickly and I you know I mean I get it but at the same time I'm like you know why did it have to like be so fast? <laughs> I don't know but it's the Weinstein's I'm sure just being like the December is the formula for success we got to get out the following year. Uh... I don't know. Maybe, the only... that was the, maybe that was the precursor to the January is for horror phase that maybe, we went through. Maybe, yeah. Uh, Breakin and Breakin Two Electric Boogaloo came out the same year. Oh wow! So they got well, screen beat. Toxic. It wasn't Toxie Three and Four the same year, also. Yes, but those were shot as one movie. <laughs> well, you know, Toxie I mean... Two and Three were shot as one movie and broken into two, so that doesn't quite count. But it kind of counts, like because I could have done. Well, I guess, but then like the Matrix two and three came out the same year too. But you know, yeah, those were shot together. Now we're gonna get all kinds of sequel semantics. Yeah, that's a fun, fun podcast topic. Sequel semantics. Uh, Look for it on the same channel as Peacockin. 
peacocking with Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I'd listen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I. Somebody it's, it's, will. I will. I'll be the person. Um, yeah, like I. It was one of those things. Like I, I mean, I, you know, obviously I knew after the the success of Scream that we were gonna get a sequel. Um, but admittedly, like I remember. I think I was watching like MTV like news or something like that. Like when they would do like the little news breaks yeah. back in the day. And I remember saying like, I remember seeing like a clip where they're like, Oh, you know, scream two has been officially slated to come out like December, blah, 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 you know, 1997. I was like, wait, what? And I think when I heard that it was like March or something. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I was like, and then it made me a little nervous, you know, because that seemed like a little fast. Um, and I know they ran into so many issues uh, with this movie because we were sort of at the, the the beginnings of what the Internet would become. And so, you know, they had tons of leaks and things like that, which honestly, like, I never really encountered. So I was I was, you know, I I didn't matter to me, but apparently like, you know, scripts were leaked and things like that. Which I'm sure had to be such a bummer for both Wes and Kevin because it wasn't stuff that they had to deal with on two, on on the first one. But you know, ultimately, maybe then it prepared them, you know, for eventually what was going to happen with the others. But right, you know, yeah. I I I went into this movie totally blind, so I certainly didn't find out anything that was supposed to happen or that was going to happen. And this is one of like three movies in my life that has ever kept me awake. Um, two of them were after I saw the movie, I couldn't sleep because I was turning stuff over in my head. Scream 2, I couldn't sleep because I was so excited for it. I was like worried about what was going to happen to the characters. I was wondering who the killer was going to be. And in the nights leading up to the release of Scream 2, I could not sleep. Oh, that's amazing. Do you, do you remember being that excited about movies? Right. Oh, you know, and it's like, and I, that's why like when people get really super, like super excited for movies, I'm never gonna make fun of them for that because honestly like I wish I felt that way like honestly and again this sounds so cliche but I think mm. the last time like I was that genuinely like oh mm. I can't wait to see what happens was Endgame uh yeah I don't even know if I was like that excited for Endgame well but... I think just because of what everything like how that sure how ended, are they going to resolve like, this what right. the shit are we going to do right. and you know and then to see how everything unfolded, like, I just, I think I've been ch- trying to chase that high, sure. like, ch- chasing that dragon for the last few years. <laughs> um, not to say that movies aren't still exciting, but like, you know, it's different now. We live in a post-Endgame world. <laughs> um, God, I sound like such a Marvel shill right now. Um, but no, I, I was- Marvel shills, right after Peacocking. Yeah, and I mean, I was like, you know, one of these, like, who I was, like, super into, like, I followed everything in, like, magazines and newspapers and all that kind of stuff. And I remember um, the article that came out, and I think it came out, I know it was December, so I don't know if the issue was out before the movie came out or if it came out right after. But I remember uh, the the Rolling Stone issue for Scream 2. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I have it somewhere still. I remember because it well. That was like to me, and again, this sounds so stupid, but like, and I yep. don't like to make a big deal out of it because you know we all deal with things in different ways. But like, as a girl who liked horror movies, to see 
a cover of a, a magazine that I genuinely loved and collected to have all women for a horror movie on its cover mm-hmm. and they're sexy, but it's not like, it wasn't like stuff magazine. It wasn't like, <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure. And I just like, I can't even tell you how much like that meant to me. And I remember, I think also that issue had like a really great article with Dave Grohl too, who I love. So, um, so that was like a, a completely tailor made issue for me. Um, but just to see them like all on there, like, holy crap. Like that to me was like the coolest thing ever. And yeah, so I, there might've even been, I don't remember if entertainment weekly did a cover for scream Two. Also, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that rolling stone issue was huge for me. Uh, and it was just so cool. Cause it was like, and the thing is like, we all know like why Tori spelling was cast in the movie and Tori spelling knows why Tori spelling was cast in that movie. Yeah. But it did, but, the presentation of her in that issue didn't make her out to be a joke. And I really appreciated that. Like she felt like she was integral, which again, she's like in just like two or three little clips, Yeah. but like it made her, her involvement feel like something. Right. And I, you know, it's just, it was awesome. Well, same like, with, just, uh, so happy. Same Heather, with Heather Graham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who I was a huge fan of, you know, her name was Heather. Yeah. Well, this was the same year as Boogie Nights, so this was really the year that Heather Graham kind of popped, you know? Oh, she did. (laughs) She she had a couple of really big years starting in 97. Yeah, it was funny. I was uh, watching TV uh, a couple weeks ago, and her episodes from Scrubs came on, and I was like, I was like, gosh, like, she is such a delight. Yeah. Did Did we fail Heather Graham? Listen, this is a running theme, not so much on Craven Craven as it is on F This Movie, because at least once a show, I'm just like, remember this actress? Why did we fail her? And it always comes down to something that happened behind the scenes, you know, like... Because Hollywood's awesome. Because Hollywood's awesome, and, and they weren't given opportunities, or they were, but they came with strings, or we don't know the stories, but just... Every actress you can think of that's like, boy, that person was great. Whatever happened to them? It's always there's some horrible story behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there a Heather Graham story? I mean, not that I'm uh, privy to, but just and she still well, works, probably. you know. Well, exactly. That's the thing. It's just I just feel like even if even if there isn't a horrible story of like abuse or um or or anything like that, it comes down to there's a shelf life that is so small. It's like two to three years. And if you don't become a Sandra Bullock level superstar during those three years, then you just, you're relegated to like playing, uh, you know, the kid's mom in diary of a wimpy kid or, or whatever. Like you, you don't get these big opportunities because there's always somebody, there's always Emma Stone waiting around the corner and she's going to be a huge star for a couple of years and then she's going to grow out of it. And it's like, it's really depressing. It's really depressing. Yeah. By the way, I just Googled really quick also to entertainment weekly scream Two just to see. And there was, there was a cover, but that one was just uh Courtney, Nev, Jada and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Okay. But still, kind of amazing that for this sequel, it was very much focused on the women. Yeah, for sure. 
which is kind of awesome. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved a little more love to like David Arquette, but you know, that's a personal choice. Well, and that's the thing is like, there weren't, you know, Timothy Oliphant was nobody at the time. Jerry O'Connell was like almost risky casting. I feel like in 1997, uh, so was it, that was post Joe's apartment, correct? I believe so, but it was like there was Stand by Me, and then this huge gap, and then Joe's apartment, and then Scream Two, and like Scream Two. Kind Are you of... wait, 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 wait? Are you about to erase sliders? From I didn't mean existence? to erase sliders. I forgot that he had oh. a hit TV show during that time. My God, we were gonna have we're gonna have to throw no, hands right now. There will be no sliders so. erasure. Uh, I assure you. But I just Jerry O'Connell, you know. Yeah, no, wasn't, he wasn't a huge star and Scream 2 kind of brought him back in a big way. And so I don't know that he's going to be on magazine cover. So really, it was only David Arquette. So I think the decision was like, well, let's just go with all the women because we have all these amazing women in this movie. Let's just do instead of doing all women and David Arquette, uh, let's just do all women. How do you think Jamie Kennedy felt? Oh, yeah, I forgot about Jamie <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> I forgot all about Jamie Kennedy. He's probably like, guys, like Randy's in this movie too, you know? Yeah, he sure is for a little while at least. <laughs> yeah. I-, I love that you you talked about Sandra Bullock though, because that's the perfect way to segue into the opener. Right. Since everything would have been okay for Phil and Marine if they had just gone to the Sandra Bullock movie like right. she wanted. Right. You know? Damn it. When, when, you're, when your girl wants to go see a Sandra Bullock movie, you take her. <laughs> I love that whole opening sequence i love their performances i love their banter i get bummed out when they get killed off because i could watch a whole yes. movie of the two of them yeah i feel like phil and marie like they're uh that opening scene for me is i mean nothing's ever gonna touch the drew barrymore opener like we know this right we all know this but like i really loved how like they were able to sort of turn our expectations on our head because like they knew they knew us going into it. Like we knew we were going to watch somebody die in that first scene. Right? right. Right. And so they do it in such a way. Cause like with, you know, with somebody like Drew Barrymore's character in the first movie, like, you know, essentially she ends up dead because like, she's so far removed from everybody. Exactly. Her parents yeah. Aren't she's home. isolated. She's isolated. And this it's like, you know, Maureen is like, in the middle of a packed <laughs> theater. And honestly, for me, like, why, in a, in a situation where, like, you're dealing with real-life deaths and you're handing out costumes for the person who actually killed people. Like, we're not handing out Freddy Krueger costumes. Like, this would literally <laughs> right. be, like, somebody right. handing out, like, John Wayne Gacy costumes, right? Right, right. In this context. Yep. And, like... I, I feel like I might have pulled back a little bit on that. <coughs> Just a little. Because, like, it's, it feels weird. Like, maybe that's the adult in me talking. Um, I mean, I love Ghostface and everything. But, like, in this in the context of this story, like, this is a guy who, re- like, these are two guys who really killed a bunch of people wearing this costume. It feels a tad bit morbid. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, you know, think about, <laughs> meanwhile, think about Halloween Kills. Like, three people died Ooh. one night 40 years ago, and we're still getting drunk and talking about it at the bar in front of everybody. Yeah, but I mean, I think in, in that scenario, like, you have a small town who just hasn't been able to move on, right? Because that's become its legacy. To, but like, this a is crazy like, degree, I'm saying. like, Oh, yeah, no, totally. 
if, if we're if we're placating if we're if we're sort of saying that Haddonfield, Illinois is like Southern Illinois, like I totally believe that. Sorry, Southern <laughs> it's Illinois. A, it's bananas in that movie, and then right, and then in this movie, it's been less than a year since the murders, and they're just like, here, wear the costume of the killer, have fun at the movie, yeah. have fun at the movie, and then, but it's like at a college, so it's even removed. But even still, like it's just like. When those girls talk about, like, I can't do this, like, this really happened to people, like, I like that little, it's just this little tiny touch in the movie that I think genuinely I really appreciate because, like, we all go to horror movies to, you know, for the escapism and the entertainment and sort of, you know, sometimes the fantastical elements and things like that. But in, like, this story, like, it's so rooted in this, like, created reality where it's, like, you know... Sydney, even just going to college after something like this and being moderately happy is kind of a miracle. Yeah. At the start of this movie. Like where she can deal with prank callers and like, you know, all this kind of stuff with a relative ease where like me, I feel like if like I'd almost been brutally murdered by my boyfriend and, you know, my mother had been killed by, you know, people and things like like I don't know that I'd be okay with picking up the phone. Right. I don't know if I don't have a phone. I'll be really honest. I'd be like, you know, the phone stays on your side of the room, Elise Neal. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, it's it's interesting because I like the way that they're able to, of course, do something that's heightened, that does something that, you know, feels very entertainment-driven, but also is really rooted in our obsession with, you know, I, I mean, essentially, we see it now with true crime and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and how we've almost turned it into its own form of entertainment, which is kind of gross to me sometimes. Like I get the fascination with it, but like I've seen a handful of documentaries on Ted Bundy. I feel like I'm good. I don't, I don't need to see anything more on Ted Bundy. Like, you know, I'm kind of the same way with Manson. Like, I don't really feel like there's anything there for me. Sure, and I'm not, and I'm not passing judgment on people who do. I get it. We all absorb things differently, but I'm like, I'm good. So I can't even imagine being somebody who's like literally her entire life is wrapped up in this whole murder thing. And she's like trying to just go be a normal theater student at Windsor college. Yeah. And like people are pranking her and like, you know, now she's dealing with like new killers and stuff like that. And it's a lot. So when people like pick on Sydney a little bit for being a little gloomy, sometimes like I feel like, you know, she's a lot less gloomy than I would have been. <laughs> I um I saw this movie twice the day it opened uh because I had a tradition of going with a friend of mine we had seen Scream together uh at like the noon show opening day and so when Scream 2 was coming out I don't even know that we had talked in the year since but we we're like well we're going to Scream 2 the noon show opening day right and she said yeah so we went and then I went with a group of my friends that night and then I saw it a third time months later. It was Super Bowl Sunday. And this was at the, you would know what this is. Not everybody listening will know what this is. But this was at the Woodfield 3 and 4 theater. Oh. So the smaller of the outdoor theaters. Yeah. And I went at like 930. And I was literally the only one there. And watching that opening sequence where murders are taking place in a movie theater in a giant, empty, dark movie theater by myself was a disturbing, upsetting experience. And I remember freaking myself out a little bit. Um, Did you sit in the front of the theater or towards the back of the theater? I sat sat closer to the front. I I never anticipated I would be by myself. 
So then when I leave at like 1130, almost 12 o'clock, there's two people still there working and they're just standing by the back door. They could not have Waiting looked for you to get out. more annoyed because they're like, we are literally still here because of you, asshole. Like I'm the only one left and they had to <laughs> wait for this whole movie just for me. I felt so bad. But uh, yeah, that was a unique viewing experience for sure. Wow. Yeah, I remember I saw it twice opening weekend because I went, uh, my girlfriend Sharon that I uh, became friends with at college, um, she and I went and saw it when she was on, she got home from break early. So she was home and I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to come pick you up. We're going to go. And then I went like the next time, the next night with my ex and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because I went with her to like the Friday night screening. So it was packed and very right active. Right. And then I went with him on like sun, like Saturday afternoon, and it was so quiet comparatively. It was really, it was such a very different energy where I was just like, I think I preferred the Friday night, even though now I'm like, oh, everybody calm down. It's a movie. Um, but, <laughs> if know, I walked kid, into a screening that was anything like the screening of Stab in this movie, I would around turn and walk around out. and go the fuck home. Like I'm too old for that shit now. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't got I don't got the patience for that at all anymore. No, thank you. Yeah. So, but I I loved it. Like and the thing is it's like and you know, we'll get into this, but like I know people it was sort of this weird controversy over like the you know, having Mrs. Loomis as one of the killers. Um and I, and, and even back then I wasn't somebody who like always can immediately made the connections like I do now. Like I can watch something and kind of find ways to like connect it to other media and stuff like that. Um, but I remember just being really struck by the fact that they made one of the killers, the mom mm -hmm. only because like, to me, I just hadn't really seen a lot of that since Friday the 13th. Sure. Because Friday the 13th then switched to Jason because obviously right, you, can't, right, right. you know, what are you gonna do with a beheaded Mrs. Borges, <laughs> you know? Other than, like, pretend she's going to open her eyes, you know, at the end of two and the beginning of three. And you're just like, ah, you know. Um, so I get it. In that case, like, what are you going to do with a decapitated mom? Not much. Um, so for me, I kind of really liked it because it felt like sort of this sort of throwback twist to things we just weren't seeing in the genre uh, and hadn't seen for a really long time. And that made me really excited. Plus the fact that I love Laurie Metcalf. Um like, I was genuinely surprised, but I remember talking with some friends about it afterwards, and they thought it was, like, the stupidest reveal ever. And I could, like, and I don't know if it wasn't because they weren't as into horror, and they were just going to see it because they loved movies. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I think for us, you know, some of us who are more nerdy, like, about the genre, like, maybe we're cool with it because of what it connects to, but for other people, maybe it's just weird and dumb. Um, but, you know... I love it. I'm, I'm I, you know, and I, I know that, again, we went through uh, several different iterations of who the killer could be. But thank God it wasn't Derek. Well, I didn't want it to be Derek because it's just repeating what the first movie had done. Exactly. But I could I, I'm I like the Derek and Hallie, um, which is kind of what it was supposed to be, supposedly before the script leaked. Um, and I don't know that, you know, having Hallie be one of the killers necessarily confronts or resolves any of Scream's issues with race. Because um, Scream 2 is very quick to raise those issues and then do nothing with them. 
Yeah. And I, I get that, like, some of that is supposed to be misdirect and some of that is supposed to be hinting at what's to come, which is that Hallie is the killer. And the fact that she's not just makes it bizarre when every black character keeps saying, like, oh, those characters get killed off. And then they immediately get killed off. Um, except Joel. Joel except Joel. It. Joel does make it because he's smart and he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> he's somewhere enjoying his dunk- his Dunkin' Donuts. That's right. Um, But I... I I will say, as a person who likes... I like Scream 2 overall. It's probably my second favorite in the series. Um, I'm fascinated by people who rank it last, because that doesn't make sense Ooh. to me. Uh, there are oh. there are lots of people who rank it last, and I don't get that, but okay. Uh, I would put it second. Um, but there is some stupid shit in it. And one of the stupid things is, to me, still the reveal, not so much of Mrs. Loomis, but of Mickey. Mickey just feels like a shrug, like, we didn't know who else to make it. Yeah, he, his reveal feels like an afterthought. Like, to me, it would almost make sense if it was Mickey and Hallie together. Because they're students together. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, like, so that, like... You know, they kind of met up and maybe like decided this was like their plan. You know, I get that would make more sense to me than Mrs. Loomis going on like some chat board to find a serial killer. Yeah, that's it's to come just and kill lame. Her. It's weird because also, first of all, like parents don't know about chat rooms. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, my mom still doesn't even know how to get on just Google. Um, so I kind of call bullshit on that. But like, yeah, I, I it's and the thing is, and it's it sucks because Timothy Oliphant is awesome. Like, I love him so much as, like, an actor. And I feel like if they were going to do Mickey, like, do Mickey as the killer, you know, and the thing is, they were constantly changing the script as they were shooting. Yeah. Like, then they should have beefed him, his character a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, to, to make it have a little more weight to it. But I'm much, I, I'm, I definitely would have bought in more to Hallie and uh, Mickey working together. How many characters in this movie and these in this in this movie in particular has like names that ends with like a Y? <laughs> right. We have Dewey, Sydney, Billy, Randy, Billy. Uh, we have Mickey. Um, even though it's Hallie, but it still right. ends with a vowel sound. Right. Plus, you also have uh, Chief Hartley. Oh, yeah, and then nice. you have Portia de Rossi's character, who is Murphy. Sister oh, Murphy. I did not remember her character's name at all. So. And Marisol Nichols, who I believe is doing a crossover for Vegas Vacation, she's Donnie. Oh, in the movie. who knows these characters' names? Uh, I do. I can, <laughs> I, can, I can tell you Corey Gillis's phone number. I can tell you all the sororities and fraternities referenced in Scream Two. Like I, I kind of, you know, I know my shit. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, no, it's it's kind of funny because like I, as I was thinking about this uh, when I was rewatching it, I was like, wow, we have a lot of names ending with a vowel like a vowelness yeah. to them which is very interesting to me cotton weary <laughs> so i uh, oof, the whole last sequence is problematic for me like from the mickey reveal onward because even cotton showing up and i like cotton participating in the movie i like him having more to do i think leah schreiber is really funny um but just the way new characters keep showing up with guns is like becomes very repetitive and I love Timothy Oliphant a lot as an actor. I don't like his performance once he's revealed to be the killer. I think it's like so far over the top that it's uh, like a high school student like doing their idea of what crazy would be. Yeah, 
I get it. Um, I think because I'm so in love with the series, I'm pretty much, I'm more way more forgiving of it. Sure. Than most people are. Um, Understandable. And also, I'm I'm like 100% cotton, so like I'm <laughs> I'm all in when it comes to cotton weary. Um, in fact, I am actually to this day still more upset over his death than I am Randy's. Everybody I'm, still gets so upset about Randy, and I just, I'm not, like... Yeah, I'm weirdly I, not that upset about Randy, and Randy, I mean, except for, like, his creepiness, like, Randy was the guy I identified with, you know? I don't know how to feel about that. Well, that I was, mean... In today's context, you're like, oh, you want to be that guy? No, I don't no, want to it. be Randy, because but you're... in terms of, like, he's the uncool one who loves movies, I'm like, yeah, yeah that's me. Okay, if I'm you're anyone in this movie... <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> if I'm anyone in this movie, it's Randy. So when my surrogate is killed off in a van in the middle of the day, I should be like, God damn it, but I don't... I, I don't feel that bad about it. I think in the moment of, you know, when it came out, I was really upset. But not be, but it wasn't like I was like, oh, they never should have killed Randy. I was just like, oh no, they killed Randy. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. I was genuinely bummed about it, but I never wanted them to like backpedal on it. Sure. Because ultimately, like, we just haven't had those kind of stakes since. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like we're not going to kill Nev. Oh, actually, right. until the new one, you know, right? The new one. Right. Um, I won't get into too many specifics in case somebody out there hasn't seen it. Sure. Um, but like we just hadn't had those kind of there's not we don't really have those stakes that much in three and four, you know, where like, yeah, I, mean, I, I, again, I, I was genuinely bummed out when Cotton dies, but it wasn't like Cotton was the core people. I just feel like Cotton is a poor dude who got mixed up with a with a lady who wanted to have an affair. Yeah. And like got framed for murder. Yeah. Almost got killed for it. Yeah. And then, like, just wanted to clear his name and, like, knew he could do something, you know, and, like, just basically paid, you know, a stupid price for all of it. So. Well, and we could talk about his death and we get to Scream 3, but his death yeah. smacks of a bankruptcy of ideas, I think. It's literally just, like, we didn't know what else to do with Cotton. We wanted to suggest that no one is safe, so we killed him off. But, like, he doesn't even belong in that movie, much less getting killed off in that movie. I don't know if I agree with that, but we'll get to that in Scream 3. <laughs> mm. Again, I think it's because it's my love of Hollywoodness. So, and I know how shitty traffic can be in that area. <laughs> so, uh, a lot of that frustration, I still feel when I watch that whole sequence. <sighs> yes, I, I, I feel like we're going to probably butt heads a little bit on Scream 3. No, it's but we, totally but it's okay. fine. Yeah. But it's okay. It's all right. We don't have to love things the same exact way. It's fine. No. Otherwise, it's, this is boring. Right. True. So, but no, I and I get it. I totally get that the the reveals of Scream Two. I mean, there's no way that they could ever live up to how everything unfolds in Scream One. You know, but it's like, and also at that time though, it's like when you when you literally chart this course with your original movie, like that's that's the problem with every franchise. Is like, how do you possibly live up to the expectations that are set with that first movie? Like, it's it's such an impossible feat. It wasn't easy, and I think. You know, considering all the things that Wes and Kevin Williamson had to deal with with this movie in terms of having to turn around as quickly as they did, you know, having scripts leaked and having to, like, basically rewrite scenes on, like, like half of their production days, which I can't imagine had to be, you know, was anything less than hellacious. Like, I'm surprised, like, you know, I, I give them so much credit for delivering a movie that, you know, genuinely is pretty great. 
and does have some really fantastic sequences. Like that entire sequence when Dewey and Gale are in the classroom and they're watching the footage and then the chase yeah. happens. Yeah, that's good. Like that's that is like one of the best set pieces of the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. You know? And then also it's like, oh my god, are they gonna kill Dewey? Holy shit, no. That to me, like I that sequence, I was like, until we got the reveal at the end, I was like, Oh my god. I was way more upset over what happens with Dewey in that sequence. That I was Randy. I was too, and I don't want Dewey to have died because I'm happy to have him back for three, four, and five. But at the same time, I do think they should have killed Dewey there because it was so effective, because they did earn it, and because it was just too many brushes with death that he escapes from. He, they had already done that in the first movie. But, but it was only one brush with death. Yeah. At that point, you know what I mean? I guess it just is that one too many for you. Patrick? Well, for them to do the exact <laughs> same thing a second time seemed lazy to me. Yeah, but I also kind of like that it was a scar tissue from the first movie that ends up saving him. Uh, sure. In this one, I don't know. <laughs> uh, listen, like I said, I don't want Dewey to die, uh, but I did feel like they did it in a really good way. And if you're going to kill him off, it's like no, that's effective. It's emotional. It's upsetting. It's well acted. Um, the sequence, as you pointed out, is really good. And so, unlike, I think, Randy's death, which is just kind of unceremonious and shitty. But it's got, the, it's got that great, you know, boombox sequence. Because, right. you know, in 97, kids were still walking around with a giant oh, boombox on their shoulders. They twirl halfway through. And uh, it, was a, it was a very popular move. <laughs> Um, yeah, it just it was on my campus. I know that <laughs> Randy's death is just kind of lame. And again, I don't give a shit because I'm not like Randy deserves better. I don't care. But at the same time, uh, his is kind of lame and Dewey's, I think, is really good. And so had they left Dewey dead, I would have been like, well, they earned it at least. Again, the fact that they didn't is fine with me. Are you going to be good if they like somehow backpedal that Stu didn't really die in the first movie? No, that's the dumbest idea ever. See, I think it's a genius idea only because like, you know, he's just been hanging out and getting better over the years. I don't know. But like <laughs> him going after another group of kids would seem dumb. I would it only like it if he's still, I would only like it if he's still walking around with a TV on his head. Maybe that's the new mask. <laughs> no one knows that it's Stu. Who is this guy of, who's trying to kill us? He's literally just walking around with a TV for a head. Instead of instead of ghost face, he's like video drum face. Yes, exactly. Like face in a TV. Yes. Love it. Uh, so we should we should write Scream Six is what we're saying. I think. About I thought we right? were writing Scream Six. I I think we are. Let's do it. I'm I'm, I'm ready. Fifty pages deep in the thing. Yeah, I, I also will say too, like um, one of the things I was thinking about um, when I was rewatching Scream Two was I think Sydney in this movie is the reason why I love tiny backpacks, <laughs> okay. which is such a weird thing. But I've been obsessed with tiny backpacks like since the late '90s, and I was always trying to figure out like where the hell that would come from because I'm not one of like I'm not a fashionable person like by any means. But I was like, and then I saw like her little backpack in this movie. I was like, I bet this is where it started. Yeah. So, and I do have a tiny backpack these days. So this might be my favorite Sydney look of all the Sydney looks. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's super college students. 97 because she's got the red streaks or whatever, (laughs) but this might be. I mean, her streaks are a little understated compared to like Gail's. Sure. 
Like Gail had the chunky streaks, right? Which were were all the rage. I never chunky got into streaks. No, me either. <laughs> I didn't. What the... really? Yeah, I've been thinking about frosting my tips, but uh... nice. I would literally pay so much money to see that. Oh Like wow. I'm not even okay. joking. Well, yes. then I would do it for money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it for money. I have a price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everybody kind of has like a tint of red hair in this movie. Because even Dewey's hair, it feel like there's certain shots in the sun that are like his hair feels red. Yeah, and like Debbie Salt's got reddish hair. Right. You know, Gail of course has her her red streaks and hers. You know, there's a little bit of cinnamon going on in Sydney's hair. Like everybody <laughs> has a little bit of, a little bit of red hair. Sure. Maybe they're all red herrings. Oh wow. Oh. We need to end this podcast now. Oh my god. It's certainly not going to be better. Be- better than that, right? No. Oh. I'm joking, but what if there was like a thing where that was like a joke? Where they were like, what if everybody has a little bit of red hair and it's like red herrings? I'm, you think I'm joking, but that seems like something stupid. The uh, yeah, I was going to say, do. would I put it past them? No. No, but but it's possible. But seriously, go back and watch. Like Even Dewey's hair in certain shots in the sun, yeah. there is like red in his hair. Interesting. Or maybe red hair was just super cool in 97. I don't know. I wasn't really dyeing my hair then. Uh, no, I haven't dyed my hair ever. So, ah, you haven't, you just, you should try it once, Patrick. Oh, that's not true. I had to dye it black once for a play I was in. Oh, Mr. Thespian. Yeah. Me and Sydney (laughs) stars of the stage. Yes. Um, um, I don't like that whole sequence. <laughs> Where, I love it. Do you really? I do. Honestly, for, you're talking about the the choreogra- choreography yeah. and stuff? Yeah. I love it because one, uh, Adam Shankman is the one who did the choreography for it. I read that. Who, who would go on to direct Hairspray, which right. made me happy. Right. Um, two, I mean, like, you know, we're trying to make it, one, you want to establish the location of the finale before you get there, right? So, like, if us going into the theater for the first time during the finale doesn't sure. – that, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and also we get, like, a little scene earlier with David Warner, which is always good. Um, I like the David Warner cameo only because he was the original Freddy. And yeah. I like that little Wes Craven connection. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm i okay with all of that, honestly. Because I think, you know, again, I think it's – this this is a ghost face who is so emboldened that – They'll kill somebody in a movie theater full of people. They'll chase Sydney in a very dizzying sort of uh, sequence where people are sort of dancing around. So, like, I feel like it's in line with where and like they killed Randy in broad daylight in a public area. So to me, it, it almost feels like right in line with what this ghost face was doing. Yeah, it to me, it feels like. Uh, a little bit of padding. I think the movie feels a little bit padded. It runs about 120 minutes, and it maybe doesn't need to. Um, again, I I, I, I like the movie. I disagree with that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm okay because isn't the first one? Is it the first one or the third? One of them is like two hours five minutes. Oof. It's got to be the third one then, right? Because the first one's not. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Good. Because I'm I'm on top of these things. I appreciate. I don't it. have. Oh no, the first one's an hour fifty-one. Okay, so this and one then... only runs like ten minutes longer, but. Yeah, and Scream Three is an hour fifty-four. Okay, Which so one this of them is is, is this... over. Is this the longest Scream? 
And then Scream 4. Scream 4 is 111 minutes. So, again, an hour 51. So this is the longest Scream, yeah. Scream movie, then, yeah. or at least yeah. of the West movies. Right. I didn't look up how long Scream 5 is. I don't think it's over two hours. It has no right to be over two hours if it is. Scream 5 is an hour 54, so they hit the sweet spot. Okay, yeah, wow. So, yeah, I mean... I guess maybe that's that's it's it's just too long. I think is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> but it's fine. Yeah. It's good. I like it. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> sounds like sounds like you're angry about it. Uh, who's your favorite of the new cast? Um. Gosh. Oh boy. I mean, here's the thing, like, I almost have to count, count him as new cast because in the first movie, we only just see him, like, in a shot in the back of a police car. Right. But I think it's Cotton. Yeah, he's awesome. You know, I, I just, I love Liev Schreiber so much. Um, so he's super fun. Um, you know, I love, um, why can't I think of her name? I li- Elise Neal. I'm, I'm like, I literally name dropped her at the beginning of you this. You did. I, I love Elise Neal's Hallie. Like, I think she's got a really she's fun energy. Not given a whole lot to do. No, but what she does do is great. Like, I love that little exchange with her and Joel. And I remember seeing, I think it was in Ryan Turk's documentary, where I think Dwayne might have improvised that his retort to her. Oh, okay. Because she was, like, so excited about right, that scene because right. she thought she was going to have this moment. And then he, like, did that thing just, like, as a joke. But it ended up being so awesome that they kept it. And then she was like, oh, because <laughs> she didn't expect it to be like she was so excited. Like this was going to be like her little like you got that on film. And like that was going to be like her thing. And then he was like, yes, I got that on film. And then like everybody <laughs> loved it so much where it was like it became, you know, the Joel moment. Right. In the movie. Do you think um, it's a huge bummer for somebody like Elise Neal when like she signs on to do the movie? Well, she doesn't know, actually, that she's supposed to be the killer when she signs on to do the movie because nobody knows what the ending of the movie is. But to find out that, like, you were at one point going to be the killer and instead you're just sort of unceremoniously, you know, stabbed after that car sequence. I really like the car sequence, but I do think Hallie's death is kind of lame. Yeah, I mean, I think also, too, you know, and I think she even talked about that in the Turk documentary. I didn't see the other one that came out about Scream. I haven't seen either one. The the Turk one is good. It okay. has, it's 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 a little talky in its presentation. I mean, we're here to pe- watch people talk, but right. it, it can use a little pizzazz, <laughs> you know. But it was still fun. I mean, dude, it was like getting to geek out for two hours, you know. So I was happy. Um, but I think she did mention like how she was really like once like she first found out like she was going to get to be the killer, like that was like super cool. And then it was yeah. like, oh, okay. Um, but I'm sure it was probably the same thing for Jerry O'Connell, too. You know, where he was probably like, ooh, I'm going to get to come in and then I'm going to be this, you know, iconic character. Not that he's not iconic, but, you know, iconic in a much different way. Yeah, so. I, I almost feel like the fact that he's not the killer serves his character better. Oh, yeah, because I loved it. And, like, you know what really pisses me off? And I'm going to rant like an old lady right now. Here we go. I see so many people complaining about the scene where he does I Think I Love You in the cafeteria. Because, like, to me, genuinely, for a horror movie to take a moment to have a scene like that, again, in 97, 
that shit just didn't happen. Right. Like, you don't get moments of happiness in horror movies. Right. And you weren't getting them in 90s horror movies. And to sort of have that really pure moment where, like, he's expressing himself, and it's just really sweet. And I see everyone's like, oh, it's so cringeworthy. And, oh, my God, like, why is he so embarrassing? Yeah, but it's, like, cringeworthy in, like, a cute way. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like everybody's turned it into, like, this weird thing that it isn't. And I'm just like... On the internet? Are you sure? I know. I'm like, how could you take the fun out of that moment? Because it is so goofy. Like, I once had a guy who, like, played guitar for me at my house and played glycerine. Like, you know, let the poor guy... Don't let the days go by. I didn't. (laughs) I did not. Um, So, like... Like, we can't have public, like, expressions of affection anymore. Like, I, that just kind of bums me out a little bit, kids. Like, calm down a little. Um, so, yeah, like, I just, I always see people rag on that sequence. And I really like Derek. And honestly, for me, his death, that gunshot wound. Oh, my gosh. All, is, like, one of the most horrifying things because that, that gunshot wound itself is, like, like, to have to do that on bare skin. Yes. And make it look the way that it does. Yes. Like, huge shout out to K and B. Like they've done some cool shit in their entire careers. Believe me, and they've won Oscars and stuff like that. But that gunshot to me still stands out as like one of the most like effective moments of this entire series because that legitimately looks like it's real. Yeah. To do it, like you said, on bare skin, the little pause that happens before it starts to the- bleed, like it's so brutal like to look at and then also just the fact that like he's innocent she kind of not let it happen but like she's but, she, but her paranoia right you know, unfortunately made her make the wrong decision exactly in that right i don't want to blame you know? it on her obviously no, it's, we're not it's blaming the fault of mickey but uh but there's all these things going through your head that's just like oh poor Derek, that's so rough and the look he gives her after he gets shot i mean so Jerry O'Connell, I really think, uh, deserved to kind of pop off this movie, you know, like to kind of have a career resurgence post Scream 2. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I agree. I will say, though, too, the the um, the poll or the yeah, there's like a poll or like the tube or whatever going through the uh, security, the security detail guys. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a fun one, too. Well, that whole sequence is really cool because it's fun to see Wes Craven do like a big action set piece like that. Yeah, and then it's like, then they have to get out of the car, which of course police cars are notoriously like right. difficult to get out of right. in any kind of circumstances, let alone this with Ghostface sitting in the front seat. Oh, <laughs> oh that I'm like I'm right now. I've turned into like the the Al Pacino meme where I'm like, ah, that's cinema. Um, like that whole sequence like holy shit that's right like that's the thing like for me why this movie i i will forgive its imperfections because it gives us several sequences that i would declare like the some of the best moments of this entire franchise yeah and that car sequence is up there yeah for sure and god damn it sydney why did you have to go back just run (laughs) just go you and hallie can go figure it out at the theater together I that think, would have been nice. You know, the way that, the, that Hallie's death is staged, it almost makes it seem like they wanted to pull another Billy Loomis where it, it's with the misdirect, you know. Okay. I have a feeling that was the case, too, where, like, she seems to get killed, but she doesn't get killed. Which just would have been 
horrible had they done that. Like, that's, you know, unfortunately, it, it worked so well. It was lightning in a bottle with Scream because not only is, like, the reveal that it's Billy so novel uh, and so interesting in terms of, like, they make us suspect him and then they let him off the hook and then reveal that, no, actually, it is him, you know, and it's so smart the way they do it. But the the real hook was that there were two killers. And then every Scream movie subsequently is just like, well, we're Scream. We do two killers. Uh, I know, except for three. I know, Jesus. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like it's never been as as interesting as it was the first time. And, And Mrs. Loomis, I think, comes close because at least it's playing into the mythology. I know Scream 3 tries to do it too, but that is, <laughs> I can't get on board with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, the, the whole Mickey thing, I feel like every subsequent Scream movie, the killer is Mickey. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't know, Mickey? Sure, Mickey. We threw a dart. Well, that's why I would argue I really like four a little bit better in terms of its killer reveals than and two because I do think that they're a little more effective in terms of what their motivations are and I think it's far more effective than what we get in five Ugh. five <laughs> I like five but the killer reveal is shitty again half of that would have worked really well it's two had, Mickeys <laughs> it's... well had stupid involved do you know what I mean with a TV on his head yes video drum face <laughs> um but yeah, like I know, I totally agree. Like it's it's once you like again, it's one of those things when you set that bar, right? Like how do you how do you try to at least hit that bar, right? Or try to supersede it? You're it's just it's so hard in franchises, yeah. You know, and I think you kind of nailed it with Scream Two. It's not that the sum total of Scream Two is great, but there are sequences and set pieces that are so terrific that it elevates the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I honestly, like, you know, Scream 1 for me is always going to be numero uno. Well, yeah. But I do, but I do often go back and forth between 2 and 4 being my favorite sequel. You know, and I know that's kind of controversial. And I know that that's something. Not anymore, apparently. (laughs) No, apparently all these people who were like five years old when I was arguing on behalf of Scream 4 out there by myself, suddenly now they're all on social media and they're like, I've loved Scream 4 since the beginning. And I was like, where the hell were you guys when I needed backup? Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, there, I think for both of them, I think that there's aspects that don't work as well, but then there's aspects that work incredibly well, Sure. you know, but you know, it's like, it's one of those, like, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I know I'm an easy mark for the screen movie, so I'm so much more forgiving than I probably should be, but like, I can't help it. Like, I'm just, even the bad stuff, I'm still like, yeah, I'm in. So, which again is why I will always defend Scream Three. So, and I and I and I, and I know I got a verbal whooping coming on that, but that's okay. Uh, probably not, it. because honestly, I don't feel strongly enough to like argue it with you. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like. <laughs> but here's the thing: even when we don't technically see the same way about it, we don't argue about no, it. We just no. talk about it, right? Exactly. You know? So, but I'm I'm fine with that. Like, you know. It's it's totally okay, and I've always said this to people. I'm like, I get it if you don't like Scream Three. I love it. Yeah. But I don't love it for the same reasons I love the others. You know. Sure. But we'll 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 get to that next month. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's not just, next there's... two months. We got two months because we got Music of the Heart next. <laughs> oh shoot, that's right. A movie oh, I've never gosh. seen. 
I took my mom to see it. Yeah, I remember you saying that. And I have not seen it since. So I am going to have to rent that. But how cool, like, we'll get into that, but like, how cool that, like, Wes Craven got to work with Meryl Streep. Right. Like, frick, yeah. And was that, like, his blank check movie for making Scream 2? Uh, I believe so. Okay, that's what I thought, but. Yeah. I think that was, like, oh, I I think it was a deal where he would come back and do 2 and 3. Oh, wow, 3 also? Yeah, because I think, uh, because I'm pretty sure Music of the Heart was, was Miramax. It is, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was like, all right, I'll come back and do the next two, you know, and then, but I want to go do this. So, you know, good for him. Yeah, right. You know, I'm not, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna put anybody down for getting paid, like, right? And <laughs> again, getting to work with Meryl Streep, like, I would just love to breathe the air that she breathes. Maybe not in a post-COVID world, but you know, mm, no, before, that's just maybe. that's darn right, downright reckless. I mean, if. If I'm going to get COVID, though, if I get it from Meryl Streep, like... Oh, it, it would be the best COVID anyone ever had. It would. It would. It really would. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Um, I had something else that I wanted to ask about. About Was it about Luke Wilson playing Billy Lewis? <laughs> he makes me laugh. <laughs> All that shit, which Robert Rodriguez stupid. directed. I mean, when he hits his head and says stupid. stupid. All that stab oh, stuff great. is so funny. Heather Graham saying, like, I don't even know you and I dislike you already is really, really funny. Yeah. And I believe Robert Rodriguez really did direct that. He did. Yeah. Which is because like, I think somebody thought like a lot of people thought it was sort of a joke. That they credited it to him because oh, he was sort of like the upcoming yeah. director. Right. But I think he was one of the directors that they they initially w- were eyeing for Scream. I believe you because are correct. Of for, because of From Dusk Till Dawn. Because right. it ended up being sort of this huge hit for Miramax and Dimension yeah. out of nowhere. And But then they realized they needed somebody with a little more clout. And that's when they went to Wes. Who I think had already turned it down once at that point. At least. So, yeah. So I wonder if, like, Robert Rodriguez gets residuals from, like, Scream 2. <laughs> For the stab footage that he shot? Yes, this is me asking the important questions. Do you get the residuals, too? <laughs> Would you, you know? ever make a superhero movie? Right? There you go. That's my other question. <laughs> my go-to. It's my new, it's my new repertoire. Ba-boom. Um, I do think, I mean, as as many, you know, issues as I have with some of the Kevin Williamson screenplay in this movie... Um, and again, a lot of that is just because their backs were up against a wall with how fast they had to turn it around with the fact that they had to rewrite stuff and things got stolen and leaked. And so any complaints that I have, I, I very forgiving because there's lots of reasons why all this shit happened. But I do think that the whole notion of like there being a stab movie based on Gail Weathers book and the movie opens with the premiere and there's all this stuff where they weave stab into it. I think that's all super clever. Um, I don't like how much a part of this world it becomes over the next three movies, but I think I really like it in part two. Well, here's the thing though, but it, it kind of makes sense though, because like, you know, if you put out a horror movie like that, like chance that it's going to make a bunch of money and be successful. Right. So what, it, what is any studio going to do? Or what, in this case, what is sunrise studios going to do? Because that's, <laughs> Where they're, they're making these things at. Right. Um, am I a little geeky about these things? And Just who's the, the producer? Who's the Lance Henriksen character? 
Oh my God. Um, um, Milton. Okay. Um, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just figured you would know it right off. The... Oh, it's, it's John Milton. Okay. There we go. Sorry. Whew. No, listen. I'm like, I'm like, I only, I have the Scream 2 uh, IMDb page open just so I can pull people's like names really quick if I have to. Yeah. But I didn't have Scream 3 open. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it, 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 I think in a way it's almost like Kevin and Wes's like subtle, like middle finger to, you know, the Weinsteins and Miramax and all them, like where they're just kind of sequelizing things over, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that in, in the context of what Scream 3 is about, like, I think that's sort of their subtle little way of being like, well, of course we're on stab whatever number. Like, because that's what the studio would do. Like, they don't care that it's based on real murders twice over at this point. Yeah, right? really, right. Like, they're like, we're still going to make movies because we're making money. Uh, but again, that's a whole discussion that we're going to have in, in, you know, for Scream 3. But like, you know... I, I'm okay because, like, again, it's one of these things, like, because it is based on reality, because it is involving a member of the media through Gail Weathers in the original movie, and, like, how, you know, she was already writing a book about the whole case with Sydney's mom and, you know, with Cotton. Like, it would only make sense that, like, they would take whatever she wrote and then ultimately turn that, you know, into some movie because, like, if it's, like, this big, you know buzzy type thing where like everybody's talking about it across the country like it's got interest you can make money off of that you know i'm thinking you know as like studio executive type people um you know that doesn't really bother me because like you know also it gives it gives me the great line of like you know where gail says i wrote the book on it because i use that sometimes right well and you did in fact write the book on it yeah i did well it's it's funny i don't use it as much as i I want to but i i do see a lot of people always misrepresenting facts about it special effects on twitter and i have to bite my tongue every single time <laughs> because you wrote the book on person, it because i wrote the book on it um <laughs> you know so yeah i mean i think for me that was sort of reflective of like where we were going and again i think that's you know sort of this weird pen shot that like wes had for making movies that were just a little bit ahead of their time in terms of like think about how obsessed we are these days with like true events inspiring movies like we just had a hulu tv series about the pam and tommy lee sex tape do you know what i'm saying yeah like so like i right now i just started watching the girl from plainville which is also based on something else that like really happened in real life so like you know in a lot of ways like the stuff that like these stories that kevin and wes were interweaving into scream should have been these like warning signs and I think a lot of people just took the wrong mess, the, the wrong <laughs> lessons away from it. So I'll get off my my soapbox. No, that's okay. Um, I feel like there's all this other stuff we need to talk about, but primarily we need to talk about CC and we need to talk about the uh, the film school scene. Oh, oh, CC. Oh, R.I.P. CC. Oh, like first of all, can we just have a Kevin Williamson horror movie? Where Sarah Michelle Gellar lives, because she deserves it, <laughs> and she deserves good things. She does tend to be the best thing in, uh, I, I don't know that she's the best thing in Scream 2, but she's easily the best but thing, and I know what she fun. did last summer. Yeah. And um, she's great no, in Scream 2. Yeah, I really like her in it. Yeah, I like that she doesn't take shit in the film class either, yeah. where she's just like, oh, you got a hard on for Ridley Scott. Um, you got a hard on for Cameron. Accurate. Oh, for Cameron. Oh, my yeah. God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's right. Cause he said T2 after right. aliens. Okay. Yes. Um, woo. Oh my God. I got that wrong. It's okay. Why am I even on this podcast? It's okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. 
Um, but no, her whole sequence, you know, at Omega Beta Zeta is uh, amazing. Like that, again, it was like you just have this girl sort of casually talking on the phone. I like that one of the TV shows she references has the name Bailey in it, which for me felt like uh, like a little hat tip to Party of Five. Sure. Because that was a character name, you know, of right. Nev's was... Cavill's brother in Party of Five. I have a question about so. Party of Five that just came up with me and Adam Risky in a column we wrote like last week or something. Was the fifth person Jennifer Love Hewitt? Who's the fifth person? There's only uh, four people in that family. Wasn't there the baby? Was there a baby? There was a baby. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I never Google's watched your it. Google's your friends. What's up? Yeah. Okay. Google is your friends. They had. It was like a little boy because it was like, it was Matthew Fox. I'm not going to bother Googling this. I don't need to know Scott that Wolf, right? And then Lacey Chabert, right? And then who was the original Megan Family Guy, which is always funny to me, right? Um, and then Nev Campbell, and then they had a baby. Okay, like, I didn't know about the that baby. Was, yeah, and then the baby grew up, and you know, then we had to deal with like little kid storylines. No, which, you know, thank you. Family Ties taught us that 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 was never fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, no, there was a baby. That's, okay. That was the party of five. So Got you it. can tell Risky there really was five in the party of five. All right, good to know. We were it both stumped. It was the ghost of the parents merged into one <laughs> when they would go to dinner. <coughs> so, yeah, there really was five. All right, good. Yeah, I was um, like, wait, I'm sure that, I thought there was a baby. That, whole, yeah, that I, whole film school sequence gives me douche chills. You know what? It does, but it's probably pretty accurate for back then. <laughs> It's probably pretty accurate for part of it now, except now that everybody, you know. It'd be Christopher Nolan and Robert Eggers. Yeah, or Ari, Ari Oster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I wanted to, like, make fun of them sort of talking about elevated horror in Scream 5. But seriously, like, I was at South by Southwest, and I was on the shuttles a lot of the time. Do you know how many freaking conversations A24 came up? Yes. In con- like, at least 10 like, it's a real thing. Like, people are, like, and that's cool. Like, I'm never going to put it down, and everything everywhere all at once is amazing. Um, and a, what a miracle it feels to have A24 pushing that movie as hard as they have. Yeah. Because uh, it deserves it. But, like, holy crap. Like, that, that's, like, a real thing. That's, like, how people really talk, like, about these kind of things. Like, I guess we just have different conversations. And maybe because, like, the, the scenarios in which I took film classes were just structured differently. Where, like, we didn't have a lot of open discussions. It was more like the teacher would, like, right. show us stuff and yeah. impart knowledge. And, like, would ask us random questions here and there. But it wasn't like a, like a you know, everyone sitting in a room chit-chatting. You know, which is when you get the douche bro vibes. I would kill for discussions like that to happen in my film class, but uh, they don't watch movies, so. Oh, well, that's why I was going to have you. So I'm going to come out and take your class. Thank I'm you. I'm going to get them going. Thank I'm gonna, you. I'm going to inspire these kids. All right, good. Be better movie movie appreciators. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so, like, honestly, it probably isn't that far-fetched, to be, to be really honest, in terms of what was probably the discussions back then amongst film people. Cause you're, you know, again, this is sort of pre you know, pre two thousands, you know, anything you're talking about had to have had some sort of solid VHS release because, you know, obscure stuff wasn't as easy to find at that point as it is now these days. Admit you know. that you like it just because Joshua Jackson mentions house Two, the second story. 
I mean, that certainly is a bright <laughs> spot in the entire movie. And I'm probably the only person who audibly like gasped and laughed at that moment. For the I right laughed, reasons. but yeah, not for the same reasons. Yeah. Like I was like, oh my God. I'm like, I finally, I have somebody like rooting for the same movie as me. And it's pacey. Um, it is. It's pacey. Um, I always prefer Joshua Jackson to James Vanderbeek. So, you know. I think everyone did, didn't they? Pretty much. I mean, Pacey, talk about kids who talked about film a lot. Jesus. I like, I wasn't a regular watcher of Dawson's Creek. No, so I watched either. it here and there. But I remember uh, recently somebody was like posting clips of it, like on Twitter. And I was like watching these scenes and I was like, my God. Like, like, honestly, I think the way that they talk in that film class was inspired by Dawson's Creek. Oh, really? I think it was. I really do. Because if you go back and watch some of the scenes with Dawson talking about movies, like, you would probably scrape your eyeballs out with a rusty <laughs> spoon. So, Yikes. you know, yeah. Like, in the 90s, it was cool. I don't know that it would be. I don't think it's cool now. No. So, you know. But, yeah, I just, you know. Having Sarah Michelle Gellar in there was just fun. Joshua Jackson, of course. And I think also, too, what I really liked about the screen movies, too, is, like, so many movies, especially these days, are driven by, like, movie stars. Where, like, the screen movies really embraced this influx of talent we were seeing on TV. You know what I mean? Because sure. it wasn't like Nev Campbell was a movie star coming into Scream. Right. She was a TV star. Right. You know, Courtney Cox, the same. Like, yep. she was on Friends. Yep. She danced with Bruce Springsteen in a music video. We that can, was kind of like it. We all remember. You know? And so, like, I really love how they, so many people, especially during this time, really look down on TV performers. So the way that, like, the screen movies were actually able to, like, get people to take, like, television talent seriously was kind of awesome. Yeah. You know? Not for nothing, but... Not for nothing. That's, that's pretty cool, too. And now everybody's going back to TV because they realize TV is like, now where you're going to make your money and you're going to get to do right. these really involved stories and things like that. So, Because I, I haven't seen Courtney's new show at all. Have you? She has a new show? She does. I don't remember what it's called because I didn't get, in, I didn't get involved, uh, invited to cover it. What channel is it on? Um, I want to think it's, it's Shining Veil. I think it's on Stars, but I don't have Stars. Oh, I don't anymore. either. No wonder I've not even heard of this. Yeah, it's called Shining Veil. I supported Courtney Cox through fucking. By the way, do you know that Sherilyn Fenn is also on this show? I would watch that. What the and hell? And Mira Sorvino was... and I... Judith Light. I would definitely watch that. Um, and and Greg Kinnear, if you're really what was that terrible up. FX show that Courtney Cox did about the gossip rag? Was it called Gossip? Was it called Gossip? Remember. It's totally Dirt. possible. Dirt. Dirt. Thank you. Oh, God. I, Erica and I watched every episode of Dirt. We watched Cougar Town. Like, we definitely have supported Courtney Cox. I I did watch Dirt. Ugh. I didn't watch I didn't watch Cougar Town because I think it was on CBS. It was on TBS. TBS? Was it really? Well, first it was on ABC, and then it moved to TBS. Oh, okay. You know what? I think it came around like when I kind of gave up on TV for a while. Sure. It was funny. After the first season, like they didn't know what they had the first season. They thought they were this premise about like, oh, cougars living in this little subdivision. And then they realized like, no, people just want to watch this show about people hanging out and drinking wine. And that's it just became a hangout show. And it was really funny. But uh, okay. 
Yeah, it premiered in 2009, which makes sense because I kind of um, just because I was like in the middle of like my divorce and stuff that year. Yeah. Like the only TV show I kept up with was True Blood. Um, but I literally like I didn't even get to finish Lost. I, you know, had to catch up with like Scrubs later and things like that. Yeah. You know, I think The Office I even ended up like having to catch up with at a later time, too. Like because I used to watch a lot of TV. So I can't believe I never watched Cougar Town. I feel like that's something I need to go do. It's good. I wonder if it's streaming anywhere. It might be on like Hulu or something. Uh, I think so. It looks like it is. Okay. Oh, it's... and Krista Miller was on it. Yes, and it was very oh funny. My God. It's it's really the scrubs. You got to get through that first season where they were finding their way, but it really is a funny show. Okay, I think I'm in. Yeah. Oh, and Ian Gomez, he was on Felicity too. Wow. Yeah, star studded. It's the guy that created Scrubs. It's his like new show. Oh, okay. Bill Lawrence. Oh, Doozer, because that's a production company. That makes sense. Right, and Bill Lawrence is married to Krista Miller, I believe. Yeah, I was so excited when she went from doing the Drew Carey show to Scrubs because she's such a great bitch on Scrubs. She's very entertaining on that show. I like it. Me too. I'm I'm bound and determined to get Brian to get immersed in it, so I just kind of put it on randomly whenever it's on IFC. I'll be like, oh, there's nothing on, you know, Cartoon Network's Futurama repeats again. So let's, uh, oh, here's Scrubs. They show it on IFC? (laughs) They do. They do, like, uh, I think it's like two nights a week. They do, like, a three-hour block of episodes. That is bizarre. They do a lot of sitcoms there. They do Everybody Loves Raymond, King of Queens, stuff like that. They need to just change the name of their channel, I guess. Right? Yeah. But yeah, that's where I watch it. So <laughs> good, for, good for Courtney Cox. Yeah. Uh, anything else about Scream 2 we want to mention? Um, I'm trying to think if I've forgotten anything. I'm sure I'll remember in like an hour. I'll be like, oh my God, I should have said this. Just call me um, and we'll re-record the whole show. Okay, great. That sounds good. Yeah, um, yeah no, I think we've, we've kind of went into everything. Okay. Um, Yeah. I think we, we've screamed and screamed again over here. Very nice. Nicely done. Yes. Um, well, this was fun. We will be back next month to talk about Music of the Heart, a first-time watch for me, so I'm excited, and a second-time watch for you, and our first real non-horror, unless you count, like, Swamp Thing, but uh, it's Wes Craven's, like, kind of big non-horror movie. I like that he got to do that. Yeah, me too. At least at least once. Yeah. Red Eye isn't quite horror. I think Red Eye is a a good indication of him being able to do something different still sort of in the genre space, it's a you know. Yeah, it's like right. A it's thriller. It's horror adjacent, but it's a little bit different. He gets to flex a slightly different muscle and he does it really well, but we got to wait on that till we get to Red Eye. Yeah, yeah, we do. Oh, I'm excited for Red Eye. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening, and we will talk to you next month. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Bye.